0: Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the meeting. I was wondering if we could sing hymn number 104. It's um, more connected to the question and answer meeting we had this afternoon than it is to the subject that I want to take up this evening, but I trust it will still be profitable and enjoyable for us to sing together. If someone could start that for me, please, I appreciate it. Number 104. Yeah. Well, let's just open with a word of prayer. God and Father, we do thank thee that we can say Abba Father. And we just pray that we would walk with all the dignity of those that are sons of God. And we pray that we would walk with all the humility of those who follow a rejected Savior. And so we would just pray for the remainder of our time here tonight to be spent Over thy word that it would be for profit, that it would be for edification, that each person who has come here tonight would leave stronger in the faith because that they were here. We ask this for the glory of thy name, amen. Amen. I want you to go in your mind all the way back to a time before you lived. To the first century Roman world, and you are traveling in southern Greece. It just so happens that on Lord's Day, you are going to be in town at Corinth. And you think to yourself, what a treat. I've not heard a lot about Corinth, but I've heard a couple things. I know that they're a big assembly. I've heard there are some very gifted brothers. I know that they were founded by the Apostle Paul. He was there 18 months. Wow. They must know a lot. And so you arrive at the meeting there. you got the address. You find it just beside the local synagogue. And you get there five minutes early. To your surprise, you are far from the first person there. As you enter the room... You notice in the back, there is a group who is just finishing what looks to have been a fabulous feast. They're pretty well-dressed, and there's large wine barrels that are empty in the back of the room. As they put away the food, the rest of the Corinthians come in. They look pretty tired. They look pretty hungry. And they don't get one drop of that food. How's that work? They don't get one crumb of that food. They don't get one drop of that drink that was provided there. And there are some people who are looking like they might be just a little inebriated. The meeting starts and things don't get better from there. You look across the room and it's kind of striking. The closest thing to a head covering you can see is a Baths a bed of pearls that is sewn in the hair of one of the sisters. And after the breaking of bread is over and the meeting for ministry begins, things get even worse. One brother stands up to pray. Another brother stands up to pray at the same time. One brother gives out a hymn. And part of the room starts to sing. And then another part of the room, they start to sing. But it's not just that they're singing the same hymn at two different times or in two different hymns or at two different speeds. They're singing two entirely different hymns. And while that happens, another brother starts giving out some ministry. Why not throw that into the mix? And you think, is that Swahili? I sure don't recognize that language. Imagine how red your face turns. When there's someone who stumbles in, he meant to get to the synagogue. Instead, he comes into this chaotic scene, and he leaves shaking his head, and you wonder, what in the world does he think of Christians? The meeting is over, and you stumble out into the parking lot. You are thinking about everything you have just witnessed. And a brother brushes past you. He hits your shoulder, and in his hand, he's carrying a crumpled piece of paper, And as he squeals off in his chariot, he yells at another Corinthian, I'll see you in court. Wow, what a treat that was. That is a non-comprehensive sampling of the litany of issues that were at play in Corinth. Now, my assembly has problems. Your assembly has problems. Every assembly has problems. Ain't nobody got problems like Corinth. And so you take the Apostle Paul, who was there, and he founded that assembly. And now, with a heavy heart, he has to write those same people that he lived 18 months with. And in that letter, the statements are clear, but the parchment is smeared, where the tears the Apostle cried as he wrote have landed on the page. In chapters 1 through 6, and in chapters 11, the Apostle Paul responds to the problems that were there based off of the report that he received from the household of Chloe everything having been established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. But there's another set of chapters. They are the seventh chapter, the eighth chapter, the ninth chapter, the tenth chapter, the twelfth chapter, and the sixteenth chapter. In those chapters, he deals with what has come from the horse's own mouth. You see, they wrote a letter to the Apostle Paul. And in those chapters, he responds to what they wrote. Just to see that, turn with me for a moment to the seventh chapter. And we're just going to read the expression that opens there. It says in verse 1, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. And he continues, we won't go through the 7th chapter, but it's crystal clear, I trust everyone can see it, it's plain as day, he says, I'm going to address now those things that you wrote to me about. But it doesn't just end in the 7th chapter, turn if you would to the 8th, and I believe this is the one that's a little obscured in the King James, but he says at the beginning of the 8th chapter, now is touching those things offered unto idols. In the Greek, now is touching is the same as that expression that opened the seventh chapter, now concerning. And I believe that every time you come across that expression in the book of First Corinthians, now concerning, it is shorthand for the full expression that we read in the seventh chapter. Every time you see Now Concerning, it introduces a new subject in the book. And it alerts you that Paul is responding to the question they wrote to him. So in the seventh chapter, he takes up the subject of marriage and singleness. They would written to him about it. We don't know exactly what they said. We just know how Paul responds. In the eighth chapter, he responds to their question about things offered to idols. And that subject takes him through the ninth and the 10th chapter. We'll turn over to chapter 12, just to see this. It says at the beginning there, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. And in that chapter, he responds to that question that the Corinthians had sent him. And then in the final, chapter 16, opening there, it says, now concerning the collection for the saints four questions four answers I was thinking about it in the context of the meeting that we had earlier today it was a question and answer meeting and uh, I don't know if this is really the right way to think about it but I think it's kind of a fairly natural response you think oh good I'm glad brother Joe is going to be here oh good I'm glad brother Tim's going to be here oh good I'm glad Brother Bob is going to be here. Whoever it is that responds to the questions, you're thankful that there are those who have an ability to minister the Word of God, and they answer it. So what would you say if the Apostle Paul was present? Oh, good. I'm glad Paul is here. There was a survey that we did at Carrollton Young People's Weekend. A couple of questions that were given to... uh, uh, the young people that were there and I don't remember what all of them were one of them was uh, would you be comfortable inviting a friend from the neighborhood to your local meeting was one question uh, another question was if you die or the Lord takes you home through the rapture and you can ask God one question what would you ask him the following year, the answers to that survey were distributed, you didn't see who had given it. And there was one person who had, in response to that question, said, If I only have one question to ask God, I don't want to waste such a golden opportunity. I would ask Him to ask my question for me. You know, these questions were recorded by the Spirit of God in Scripture. That in itself is an endorsement of the question that was asked. We know for certain that these are questions worth answering. And so I want to look at the answer to one of these questions. We don't have nearly enough time to go through all four. I want to look at spiritual gifts. And so that's in the 12th chapter. I'll just read it for us, and this is what it says. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God, which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one's spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye? Where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased Him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, Much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues are all apostles are all prophets are all teachers are all workers of miracles have all the gifts of healing do all speak with tongues do all interpret but covet earnestly the best gifts Let's go back to the first verse, the verse that opens this chapter. We've already discussed the expression that begins it, now concerning spiritual gifts. But I want to make a comment about this. I don't know about in your Bible, but in mine the word gifts is in italics. And that means it's not there in the original, it's added by the translators to make the sentence work in English. And so you read it that way, now concerning spirituals. Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. The word gifts is probably not the best word to insert there. Because what he's speaking about is something broader than just that. I would suggest, based on verse 7, that the word manifestation is a better word. Now concerning spiritual manifestations. What you have here is there are certain things... Let's just think about that word manifestation. What does it mean? To make something manifest is to make it clear, to make it easily seen. There are certain things that make it clear that a spirit is at work. But... He does not only discuss the Holy Spirit in this chapter. Because the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit that is at work in this world. And there are certain things that make clear the activity of evil or demonic spirits as well. He says here, I would not have you be ignorant. That is because there are certain things that we can only know by being taught. And contrast that with the statement that opens the next verse. Ye know that ye were Gentiles. On the one hand, there is ignorance. On the other hand, there is knowledge. What was the knowledge that they had, though? Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. These Corinthians had been saved out of pagan idolatry. They knew what it was to be led by an evil spirit. They knew what it was to be under the influence of a demonic spirit. What they were ignorant about was Christian teaching on the Holy Spirit. He says here at the end of verse 2, even as you were led. The Greek refers to a prisoner, a captive, who's taken where they don't want to go, and they don't have a choice in the matter because they just have to go where they're told to go. That is the way it is with an unsaved person who is under the control of an evil spirit. Out-of-body experience. Ecstatic, enthusiastic, uncontrollable movements. That is what characterizes one who is under the leading of an evil spirit. It is not what characterizes someone who is under the leading of the Holy Spirit. They could not know through their past experience with idolatry, with those spirits, they could not know what it was to have Christian knowledge. And so that experience was not useful to them in understanding Christian truth. That's one of the ways we know that what characterizes the leading of an evil spirit is not the same as what characterizes the leading of the Holy Spirit. But just in case you're not sold on that idea, because we probably won't have time to make it to the 14th chapter, I just want to read this verse for you it says in chapter 14 verse 15 what is it then I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also leading by the Holy Spirit is not an experience that happens detached from a person being under sane, rational thought, and the control of their body. And so the danger was that the Corinthians would take their past experience under paganism and apply that experience to Christianity. And Paul says, That won't work. I do not want you to be ignorant. The next verse. He says, verse 3, wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. We've already said that Paul is dealing in this chapter with spiritual manifestations, what it is that reveals to us the activity of a certain spirit. And he gives in this verse a test. You can tell whether what a person says is under the control of the Holy Spirit or by the leading of an evil spirit, by this. If they say that Jesus is accursed, you know for certain that they are not saying that under the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, What is it that the crowd thought about the one referenced in that chapter whom we know to be the Lord? They esteemed him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now in a certain sense, they were right. But they were right for the wrong reasons. They thought that Jesus was cursed by God. If there is a person who comes into the assembly, it does not matter if they do so through enthusiastic, ecstatic utterance. If they say that Jesus is a curse, that is not the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it is interesting, it is mind-boggling to consider That Paul would even have to tell them that. But everything in scripture is on a need to know basis. And so we can assume that was happening at Corinth. What has to be in place in an assembly for someone to do that? and you don't automatically know as a Christian that's not right. If you view everything through the paradigm of experience, you will become detached from content. And pretty soon, as long as someone has an experience, It doesn't matter what they say. You will not be able to judge it. And that is wrong. Experience is not the paradigm through which we judge whether something is of God or not. It is essentially a doctrinal test that he gives here. The next statement is he says that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word for Jehovah is translated as kurios. It's the same word that's used here for Lord. And I believe that in this chapter, as in Romans chapter 10, What you have here is a confession that Jesus is Jehovah. In other words, that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. And he says no one can make that confession except by the Holy Ghost. Now I want us to stop and consider for a minute. We don't have a lot of time, and so you're going to be primarily responsible for the application that comes from this meeting. But let's just think about what we've talked about so far. As I look across this room, I see people that I think have been mostly saved in Christian homes. And even if you weren't, I don't think there is anyone here who has been saved out of pagan idolatry. And so it's reasonable to assume that you you do not have the same kind of prior experiences that these Corinthians had being led about by evil spirits unto dumb idols so what does that have application to us today yes are we not also in danger of taking our own experiences from the world and assuming That is how things will work in Christianity. I think that's a real danger for us. What about this test? Would something that extreme get by in your assembly? I don't think so. But what about this? You can see as a principle that the leading of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, will always be Christ-exalting. And the leading of an evil spirit will always be Christ-degrading. What about what we talked about earlier today? Eternal security. Is the fact that your salvation, that the preservation of it, depends on God and not on you, is that Christ-exalting? Yes, it is. To say that it's up to me, that would be man-exalting. The principle of this verse has many applications. It is relevant to you and I today, even In the Western 21st century world, where most of you do not have to deal with the reality of idols. Verse 4 Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit uses the word diversities in our uh, King James translations, they mix it. They changed the words between verses 4, 5, and 6, but it's the same in the Greek. There are various and distinct gifts. But all those various and distinct gifts, they come by the same Spirit. There are various and distinct administrations, but it is the same Lord. And there are various and distinct operations, But it is the same God, which worketh all in all. These three statements are not three different things. They are the same thing viewed from three different angles. Administrations. It's the Greek word uh, from which we get deacon. I trust that when everyone hears the word deacon... They immediately think, ah, we're talking about a servant. There are various and distinct services, but it is the same Lord. For you, to use your gift is to do an act of service. He says here, there are various and distinct operations but it is the same God which worketh all in all. That word operations, if you look it up in the strong, he'll he'll use this word, effect. There are various and distinct effects, but it is the same God. Do you look at someone else in the body of Christ and you think their ministry is effective and mine is not? I hold a Bible study and one person comes The effect is God's work. And there are various and there are different effects from various lines of service. And that is not on you. It is God who does that. And he can choose to make one person's line of service effective. And he can choose to make one person's line of service appear to have no effect. That's his to do. And you take it all together. And God is doing something through the whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. He says in verse 7 that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. We can say on the authority of this verse, There is not one believer in this audience who has no spiritual gift. It is given to every man. For what? For the profit of all. The common good is how it's translated in another place. Universal is the scope of who has received spiritual gifts and universal is the scope of who in the body of Christ should benefit from your spiritual gift it is not isolated to your assembly it is not isolated to quote those gathered to the Lord's name your spiritual gift is for the profit of the entire body of Christ And you might not come in contact with 99.99% of that body. But to the extent that it is within your power, the scope of your service in the use of that gift is universal. He says in verses 8 through 11, he goes through a listing Of the various spiritual gifts I don't believe a comprehensive list in fact we know it's not comprehensive because he has a different list later in the chapter and he has a different list somewhere else so it's not comprehensive to what's presented here I don't believe actually the listing itself is the point it's the repeated expression and if I had a powerpoint it would show up behind me with a, a heat map of where this expression is repeated because there's something like seven or eight times in this chapter that Paul emphasizes it is the same spirit that gives these diversities of gifts. that a variety of gifts does not mean there are a variety of spirits. Why does that matter? What would the Corinthians have assumed based off of their prior pagan experience? I don't know the Greek or Roman deities. Some here might be able to list their names. But you have different gods. And each of those gods is a specialist. You have a god of war and a goddess of love and you can go on through the list you take that into Christianity and you get patron saints you apply this concept that there are different spirits behind the different gifts and what do you get? you get a guild mentality you've got the teachers guild and the prophets guild and the speaking in tongues guild And every one divides along lines of a common gift. And what happens? The body of Christ is splintered. But that's not how it works. These different various gifts, they all come from the same Spirit. He says in verse 12... For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. I think if we got a hold of the truth in this verse, or if it got a hold of us, it would change the way we think about things. And I know for certain that if Christendom... Got a hold of the truth of the verse, of what is in this verse, it would change the way Christendom thought of things. Because the church is not an organization, it is an organism. The body is the body of Christ. And just like a body has many members, Different parts to it. The hand, the eyes, the feet. There's different members. Does that mean there's different bodies? No. It's different members but one body. It's the same way with us in the body of Christ. There are many members but one body of this work, verse 13, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. Jew and Gentile, the greatest ethnic division that exists in the world. Bond and free, the greatest societal division that exists in the world. And he says, you can take that division and you can toss it out the window because in the body of Christ there's just one. They have been brought together by the baptism of the Holy Spirit that formed the body. That's incredible. You know, I'm going through Acts in my Sunday school class and it's amazing how big of a difference a single word makes. Luke, as he opens the book of Acts, he gives a summary of the gospel of Luke. And in that, he says, he refers to all that Jesus began to do and teach. How does the word began change the meaning of that sentence? It means that what Jesus did And what he taught was not finished. If he has returned to heaven, but that work isn't finished, how is it going to continue? It's going to continue through me, you, and through me. As his body, being those various parts to it, that work, feet that move, hands that lift, eyes that see, mouths that speak, minds that think. And what happens when a part of a body refuses to listen to what it's been told to do? The body is paralyzed. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you've been sleeping on your arm and you try and move it? And it won't move. It just lies there. Does God ever feel like that with you? He tries and moves you, and you just won't move. You are who he works through. Don't be a source of paralysis for the body. He says in verse 15: If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? He asks a similar question with the ear: What is this? It's an inferiority complex. And when spiritual gifts are used for personal display, it's very easy for this to happen. That one member of the body of Christ would say, I don't play that role. I don't have that gift. So I must not be important. I must not matter. I must not be useful. If you think that way, you are wrong. God does not design his body with any dispensable parts. You are indispensable. You know, sometimes it's hard to tell what a part of the body does Medically, there are certain things that they used to think, well, that doesn't have a purpose, so we're just going to cut it out. And they didn't learn until they had done that for a while that that part of the body was actually doing something really important. And the loss of it caused the body to suffer. It's the same way with you. Just because you don't understand what role you have to play doesn't mean the body wouldn't suffer if you were gone. Because it would. There's also the problem of his superiority complex. And he says here that certain members of the body cannot say, like verse 21, the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. That can happen too. When we use our spiritual gifts for personal display and pride start to think I'm all that I don't need anyone else and you are wrong if your whole body were arms you think that's going to work out very well no it's not you would fall apart real fast it's the same way in the body of Christ you want someone else's gift? Why? What if we all had the same? It would be the same result as a body being a bunch of arms. It doesn't work. He says here, those that are feeble are necessary. And those that are less honorable, we bestow more abundant honor. And those that are uncomely, we give more abundant comeliness. Far be it from me to disparage the address takers and the Bible study leaders. But it is natural in the way that we think to honor those that take a public role. And that is not how it works in the economy of God. He gives more abundant honor to the part that lacks. He says those that are feeble are necessary. And he says those that are uncomely, we'll have more; we'll have more abundant comeliness. That's how things work in God's economy. And so if you are someone who has a role in the body of Christ that is not public, and nobody sees it, and maybe you're like so spiritual, you're on the threshold of heaven, you don't even care that no one sees it. But maybe every now and then, there's someone who thinks, I really wish others would notice what I do. Know that the God who sees in secret will reward you openly. There's a brother in my assembly, or the assembly I go to, and he told me one time, he said, in the body of Christ, I'm just the rear. I'm only good for sitting on. You know, that brother, he travels over an hour each way to come out to the assembly meeting on Wednesday night. We offer Zoom How easy would it be for him to stay at home? He doesn't even get the benefit of fellowship because as soon as the meeting is over, he leaves right away so that he can get back and his wife doesn't have to wait up for him. I am convinced that the fact that he is there is more encouragement to those who come out than whatever exegetical observations the teachers happened to make that night. Because God gives more abundant honor to the parts that lack it. He says in verse 24, For our uncomely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked. Why does he do that? For the sake of unity, that there would be no schism in the body. If you stub your toe, does only your toe feel it? Doesn't that pain shoot through the whole thing? That's how it is in the body of Christ. You take one member and it suffers, it's not just that one member every member suffers with it. You take one member of the body and uh, they are honored. Every member of the body rejoices with it. That's how united, that's how connected we are. He goes through a listing here and he says, oh, you know what? This is going jumping way back. But I, I just thought of this point I wanted to make, um, where it refers to He divides to each man severally as He will. Um, verse eleven. But all of these worketh the one in the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as He will. That word "severally," my understanding, is our word "idiot." In the English language comes from this Greek word. Now that would probably be more helpful if we understood the history of the word idiot and how it was originally brought into our English language. So just to help us along, I'll tell you this. It's probably closer to the way we use the word peculiar or unique. It's special, it's different than what everyone else has. And so when God works, when he distributes these spiritual gifts through this self-same spirit, he divides to each man uniquely, specially, peculiarly, as he will. I was thinking about that in connection with the meeting that um, Bob Woods had last night. I didn't have the privilege of hearing it, but I would suspect that if you took the recording of that meeting and you scrubbed the sound tonal quality so that you couldn't tell through just voice alone the difference between this meeting and that, I'm pretty sure if you listen to that talk and then you listen to this talk you could probably still tell that it was two different people that gave it. That's because each one of us is unique. Each person has been given their gift uniquely. Even two teachers or two people who have the gift of helps. It's not going to look the same. It's not going to play out the same. So I'm going to be exactly the same because they have it severally. They have it uniquely divided to them. Unity is stressed in this chapter. Unity is not the same thing as uniformity. So let's go back to where we were before. He lists through these verses and he goes through firstly, secondarily, thirdly. There are uh, some that, that take a more uh, active role in the administration of things. And so he does speak here, of, firstly, of apostles and secondarily of prophets. The last thing on there is the speaking and interpretation of tongues. And he says in verse 31, Covet earnestly the best gifts. We've already seen that it is the spirit that distributes spiritual gifts. You can't pray, God, give me a different spiritual gift. He's already made that choice. But you can pray for your assembly. Are you lacking shepherding? Pray that God would raise up a shepherd. Is the teaching a bit sketchy? Pray that God would raise up a teacher. Is there need for a word in season? Pray that God would raise up a prophet. Is there need for encouragement? Pray that God would raise up someone with the gift of helps. Is the assembly going through turbulent times? Pray that God would raise up a helmsman. You can covet for your assembly the best gifts. And you can pray towards that end a biblical prayer. But this brings us to the second part of what Paul takes up. And that is the 13th chapter. And I think the expression that ends the twelfth fits best with this chapter. He says at the end of the twelfth chapter, And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. That more excellent way is the thirteenth chapter. Let's read it. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. I put away childish things for now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face now I know in part but then shall I know even as also I am known and now abideth faith hope charity these three but the greatest of these is charity Joe when does this meaning end
1: oh. <laughs> I think we, started
0: a little late. we started five minutes late I've got one more minute okay I just want to read to you something from here um, this is what F.B. Hole has to say on the chapter and I know that's cheating but he says it so much better than I can and you shouldn't have to settle so I'm going to read this for you He says, a brother rises in the assembly and speaks words of peculiar sweetness and thrill. Though quite unintelligible to us, how marvelous. How we should gaze at him. Yes, but if he has done this without love, he might as well have brought an old brass pan into the assembly and hit it with a poker. And we come to another, he has astonishing knowledge and understanding. He can not only penetrate into the heart of divine things, but he can communicate to others by reason of his prophetic gift. Also, he has faith of an almost miraculous power that he has not loved. If unspiritual ourselves, we might imagine him to be a giant. Really. He is less than a pygmy. Well, I hope that's a plug for you to read more FB Hole. But this thirteenth chapter he goes through the more excellent way. And he goes through what seems kind of extreme examples, it's a really hyperbole. You know, you understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. If you don't have love, you're nothing. That's the point that he's making here in this chapter. That's the more excellent way because the Corinthians, they had abundant gift. And they were very interested in this subject. And they were thrilled to get up and use that gift, especially if it was speaking in tongues. Especially if it was prophecy. But there was a problem of a lack of love. And you know what? Ten times out of ten. Love is better than spiritual gifts. Do you want your assembly to thrive? Then love. Do you not know what your spiritual gift is? There is a more excellent way. Love. Sisters are good are a good thing, and they're good for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is that they tell you how things are. And my sister has told me, she says, You know, Michael, sometimes your meetings are a little overwhelming. It's like drinking from a fire hose. You just get a little lost in the deluge of information. So if you forget... Everything from tonight, remember this one thing. The greatest gift that you can give your assembly is to love those you least want to love. Let send in prayer. God and Father, how thankful we are that there is a manifestation of the Spirit. We can look and we can see that you are at work and that you are doing something. And we just pray, Lord, that we would be active participants in that work. We pray, Lord, that even as we seek to help one another, we would do it motivated out of love. So that we would not be a sounding brass. So we wouldn't be a tinkling cymbal we wouldn't be unprofitable to others so we wouldn't be unprofitable to ourselves and we know that you are the perfect pattern for what it means to love selflessly and what it means to love sacrificially and so we just pray that we would follow after you we ask this in jesus name Amen. amen.